So, like, are you here? I mean, like, we want you to be here, dude. What we have for you today is an old radio artifact. It's an interview from our archives that originally went out over the laid-back radio airwaves, you know? Now, on this episode, we're going to be taking you to a place that's, well, let's say this establishment is no longer there. Oh, let's go back in time to drop in on the Honolulu Surf Museum located in Honolulu, Hawaii. As I said, it's since closed its doors, but this interview is interesting nonetheless. Let's get into the who. Now, this is an interview with Mark Fregali. Mark was the curator of the Honolulu Surf Museum, which was located at Jimmy Buffett's at the Beachcomber, Jimmy Buffett's restaurant and bar. Mark is considered an expert on surfing history since he's lived in Hawaii since the 70s. Mm-hmm. Mark Fregali's surfing story began in 1962 when... At the age of 12, he saw a surfer gliding across the water on the Atlantic Ocean from the coast of New Jersey. He was hooked, and so began his lifelong love for the sport of surfing. You know, we've got tons of very unique content, just like this, and we're rushing to get it all out by the end of the year. There are considerable expenses, I'll have you know, And if you're so inclined, you may simply visit www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. Give to yourself and to others the gifts of stories. And with that, I think it's time we start the show. So, let's start the show. That's our thing. It's what we do at the beginning. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with great pleasure we welcome our special guest, Mr. Mark Fregali, curator of the Honolulu Surf Museum at Jimmy Buffett's at the Beachcombers in Honolulu, Hawaii. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. Thank you for having me, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. My pleasure. I think most stories are best from the beginning. So who is Mark Fregali? Well, Mark Fregali is a lifelong surfer uh, with a passion. Um, I started when I was very, very young. My father was giving its push start in these little tiny way fields back east in New Jersey where our family once summered. And my earliest cognizant moments in the ocean, I remember riding on a rubber raft. And um, I was hooked from the onset. Somewhere along the line, started revolving my whole life around the ocean. I got into fishing at the local piers and going out in boats. And then one magical day, some teenagers in the very early 1960s, I believe it was 1961, 1962, appeared on the beach with a fiberglass surfboard. And I saw it, and I knew from that point on I was going to do it for the rest of my life. It's that simple. <laughs> Amazing. So how did you end up in Hawaii? I started coming out here on sojourns beginning in the late 60s. I was going to college in New Hampshire, and uh, the only thing between us and the North Pole out there was a barbed wire fence. I mean, it was cold, and um, 
I got surfing real bad, and I had a seven or eight week semester break each year. Consequently, I would just uh, find a way to make some money during the summer and for semester breaks, hop out to Hawaii. After about my seventh trip here, I ended up calling it home. I met my wife, dug in, got a really good job at the Hobie Sports Center, had some good connections, and um, she said I went through her 78, 79. But then there a pretty long time. I've lived here longer than anywhere else in my life. As the curator of the Honolulu Surf Museum, you're no doubt an expert on surfing. So tell all the listeners out there, historically, how did surfing begin? Well, in greater Oceania, which today we refer to as Polynesia, surfing finds its roots. And there are people who challenge that perhaps surfing may have started in South America, Argentina in particular, but um, it's generally widely held to believe that it was the Polynesians who, if they didn't invent it, certainly brought up the prominence. And um, it was a spectacular sport by any measure. The boards were crude. Remember, going all the way back to the origins of surfing, there was no milled lumbers. There was no hardware stores. If you wanted to build a surfboard, you'd fell a tree. And the Hawaiians did this with reverence. They'd get a, a fish or perhaps a taro plant, and once the tree was felled, they'd have a little ceremony for the tree, and they would carve a surfboard out of the tree trunk with uh, axes or what we would call an axe or an as, and uh, carve it all out. So you can really tell ancient surfboards by the fact that the ones that survive, of course, by the fact that there are no timbers in them. They're one piece. There were no varnishes to seal the wood, so they would use whatever they had that was indigenous. Quite often that would be a kakui nut or some other not that had oil, so they could rub it on the surface to seal the woods. The royalty here in Hawaii rode a board called the Olu, which was very, very long, almost like an open sea type of board. It was, in many cases, 15, 16, 17 feet long. The commoners here rode the Alaya, and that was a shorter board, usually head high, give or take, before morphing into a board that we now call the white keyboard, which was the turn of the century wood board. And it's about 10 feet long. So it gets its starts there. Um, that's an oversimplified version, of course, but it all started with wood. And um, if people pay real attention to wood and surfing, because think about it, the soul of the surfboard is once alive. It's like the rider. So when you're riding on a wood surfboard, it's real communion with nature. And, uh, that's not quite possible with the plastics that we use today, but uh, it's all there. Very interesting. How has surfing impacted the state of Hawaii? Oh, geez, it's huge. From a, a contemporary vantage point, the Triple Crown of Surfing, which is held here every year, which is the top pro event worldwide, takes place at Sunset Beach Pipeline in Haleiwa. And you can go to the website at triplecrownofsurfing.com for the particulars, but it shows how many people are employed, how many people come here to visit, and the gross total, if I believe we're in excess of $10 million in a one-month period. So from a revenue standpoint, it's enormous. From a spectator standpoint, when the contest is on, they have a period of days where the event can be held. And during that period, they would have lay days. If the waves aren't just right, they have permits to last perhaps seven to ten days on a waiting period. So when the waves are perfect and word breaks that the contest is on. Um, you're talking about the best surfers in the world here. And Cam Highway, which is the feed to the North Shore, completely clogs up 
the whole <laughs> the whole community goes to the beach to watch, and it's spectacular. Um, surfing's at an incredibly high level. I believe it was Dick Brewer who said it will go higher. And that was 30 years ago, and every year they're doing more and more and more. Surfers are riding up in the air now. They actually launch out of the wave and do aerobatic maneuvers the same way skateboarders do. It's an amazing sport. It doesn't stop evolving. Our special guest is Mr. Mark Fregali, the curator of the Honolulu Surf Museum. How did the Honolulu Surf Museum come to be? It's um, a funny thing. Jimmy Buffett is certainly no adolescent, but he's attacking the sport as if he were. His enthusiasm for surfing really knows no bounds. Um, the stoke he has for it's like what I had when I was 13. Not that mine's diminished, but it's become tempered over the years. Uh, Jimmy just can't get enough. And um, he's surfing some hallowed East Coast grounds, like out in Montauk and um, up and down the coast. He's got a very green machine that burns old French fry oil and whatever else. And he tours the coast looking for waves when he's not in concert and running his businesses. But uh, he had a real infatuation with the surfboard in the movie Apocalypse Now. Perhaps you and your listeners may recall the the key line there. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Get my eater spoon. Um, <laughs> He found out that surfboard prop from the movie was for sale. And he visited a guy in Santa Monica, pardon me, Santa Barbara, and then Jim O'Mahony, who also had a deep reach into other Hollywood projects. And when he got there, he found the surfboard, among others. And on the spot, came up with the idea that, hey, we've got this incredible venue in Honolulu being constructed as we speak. And um, why not open up a surf museum right across the away from these historic surfing grounds. Wavefields like Poplars and Queens and Canoes are, I mean, literally a, a walk across the street to go to. So when he got the Apocalypse board, he said, you know what? I'd be interested in buying another portion of your collection. Would you be willing to do so? And the owner of the material said, yes, I would. So they were appraised. And um, shortly thereafter, a deal was struck. The surfboards were all sent through the Surfing Heritage Foundation in San Clemente, which is a wonderful concern, uh, preserving the heritage of surfing. They were photographed, all the materials archived, and the boards were packaged and sent to Hawaii. So it actually came about, to answer your question, around the chase for the Apocalypse Now surfboards. And when he saw what else he had historically, especially the wood stuff, Jimmy was all over it. The collection's 100% his. I have none of my materials in there whatsoever at this juncture. Perhaps there's a rotation I made, but right now it's 100% Jimmy's. Well, Mark, what is your impression of Mr. Buffett? He's a very, very busy man. The few bumps I've had have been entirely positive. Um, When we first met, he was um, here to open up the restaurant, which was in February, and give it a launch. He had a private concert on the venue. It was just fabulous. Um, he gave me as much time as he physically and mentally and possibly could, which is about a nanosecond because he's being pulled in three directions by other people who needed him. But I'm very close to him through his uh, right arm man, Charlie Fernandez, and all his wishes for the museum are orchestrated through Charlie, and I'm on the phone with Charlie weekly, and keep it just the way that uh, they want to and evolve it in the same fashion, adding new materials. Um, more recently, the Rabbit Cake Eye contest, which is an 18-year history running out of Costa Rica, 
because of Rabbit's advancing age, he's into his 80s now, they decided to move the contest venue to Honolulu, and the trophies for the event are in uh, perpetuity. New person at each year, and those trophies are on display in our uh, museum. So I take it Charlie Fernandez is a surfer also. He lives in Huntington Beach and Santa Cruz will always buy for the title Surf City, but if there really is a Surf City on the planet of San Clemente, California, the place is amazing. It's home to the, the major publications in the surfing world with the Surfer, Surfing, Surfer's Journal. It's home to Stewart Surfboards. It's uh, part of Orange County. It's near Trestles and San O. It's the heart and soul of California surfing. So uh great place to be. And that's where Charlie calls home when he's not going to Jimmy. What can tourists, and as the website mentions, the surfers, musicians, history buffs, and parrot heads find at the Honolulu Surf Museum? Mm-hmm. What's your favorite thing there that they could see? My favorite thing is, it's no secret, the surfboard, because we have other things we'll talk about in a moment, but there's a surfboard there that was built right after World War II. And that's my favorite period of surfing history. I wasn't there for it because I wasn't born yet. I uh, have lived the moment vicariously through the equipment and my studies. But uh, after World War II, fiberglass made it into the public sector. It was basically a material that was designed uh, during the war. And after the war, it came into the public use. And when balsa wood and fiberglass were mated together, it was the beginning of high-performance surfing and sport as we now know it. Uh, people like Joe Quigg and Dave Sweet and Matt Kivlin, they were there. They were shaping balsa boards and putting fiberglass on. So for the first time, this soft, porous, extraordinarily lightweight wood could be used for surfing. And when you put the fiberglass over, it had a hard shell. If it got a sandwich, what we call a ding in surfing, you were able to patch it, and the board would go on for years and years and years of service. We have one such board there built right after the war that's just made it through all the ravages of uh, time and distance and hangs on the um, eastern wall of the exhibit. And it's even got a keel fin. It's before fins were highly developed, so it's like a half moon on the bottom of the board. It's beauty and it's crudeness. So, yeah, my favorite boards are probably the balsa boards built right after World War II and into the early 50s when the masters of surfboard production began in businesses like Dale Velzi, Hobie Alter, Dave Sweet, and uh, the others have certainly followed throughout the South Bay in California. I have not been to Honolulu in a very long time, but that'll definitely be one of my visits, the Surf Museum. I, I wanted to know... Oh, it's a great place. Yeah? So, so it really is. I mean, it's more than just a museum. You can belly up to the or a beer, something to eat. There's video monitors going with, like yesterday, we have three monitors. One had the World Series going on. The other had um, surfing loop going all the way back to before movies had sound. And uh, still another had the the music videos playing. So in three different things, surfing, music videos, and the World Series all going at once. Great. Got to come by. Please have all your listeners come and visit. We'd love to have you. It's free. Very good. Free entertainment in Hawaii. Well, the museum is located inside yep. the restaurant, Jimmy Buffett's at the Beachcomber. So I wanted to ask you, have you eaten there? And if so, can you recommend to the listeners any menu items? Yes, as uh, 
department head, uh, they urge us to explore the menu and um, tell all of the different um, eating experiences to our guests. So, yes, I have explored the menu deeply. Um, Sans the fact that I'm a whole foodist. I basically eat only whole foods and fish a couple times a week. But there's food there for everybody. We have something called a volcano nachos, which people order. They say, maybe we should get two. And the waiter goes, no, just get one. Four people can't finish it. Ten bucks. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, we have draft beers um, from all over. And then we have um, very nice chicken and meat conventional menus. Of course, the cheeseburger of paradise being a trademark piece there. And then we get into um, lots of Mexican fare outside of the nachos, uh, quesadillas and uh, shrimp and chicken and steak fajitas. I can go on and on. The great thing is it's a very good fare. There's something on there for everybody to eat, healthy and junk food alike, and uh, lots of good times. The venue is over 20,000 square feet. It includes the Pacific Ballroom, um, which was the old Don Hose, where they performed nightly. We have live music. And then we have an outdoor lanai, which is probably about 5,000 square feet. It's on the second story of the hotel, so it's nice and cool up there, and it's covered off to the west side of the property. It's a surf museum and the adjoining pool. So uh lot going on. Uh, people come in there just amazed. In the Pacific Room, they hired the McBride Group out of Vermont, and um, I would say with no reservations that the the cost of it, I'm not going to put a number on it, but it was just beyond what anybody could even fathom. They have lava in the floors. They have lava flowing through the bar top. There's a whale and a shark hanging from the ceiling. There's acrylic breaking waves like you're underwater and looking up and through when you're coming back to the surface. It's that realistic. Um, it's quite an experience. It's like a little Disneyland to go and eat. Great theme restaurant. You might got to come. It sounds like a very cool place. What do you like it about is. surfing? And, uh, what a venue. Oh, geez. It's incredible. What can I say? It's my life. I'm living here in Hawaii and married and have children, and I really dug my stakes, and surfing brought me here. It's, um, you know, a wave is the band of energy just moving through the water. And to tag into that and tap onto it and move shoreward, I don't care if you're three years old or 80 years old. I mean, it, it's just an amazing feeling. And if you elect not to get into the performance thing with the young and all the young Turks, you can just get out there and glide. It's a sport within a sport. You have short boards. You have hybrids that are in between short and long. You have long. You have stand-up paddling. You have knee borders. You have boogie borders, which we call spongers. Um, there's just body surfing. There's so many ways to ride a wave. And... Um, the sport is very fragmented in that concern. 1960s, everybody rode one side surfboard and maybe occasionally got in a belly board or body surf. That was it. Now, it is so diverse, you can actually dial in and choose what aspect of surfing appeals to you the most. Or participate in all of them, if you will. I wanted to ask you, Mark, which, which artists do you think are essential when it comes to surf music? Oh, boy. Well, certainly the father of surf music would be uh, Dick Dale. And uh, let's not for a moment rule out Brian Wilson. Um, love him or hate him for it, but he brought surf music 
to the masses and uh, did a mighty fine job of it. There's a million obscure surf bands, and there's offshoots of the Beach Boys like Jan and Dean. There's uh, instrumental groups like The Ventures and The Astronauts. It's a whole genre. There's a guy by the name of Jamie Carter. He lives in Tucson, Arizona. I would say with no reservations again that he is the world's authority on surf music. He has discographies. He has a lot of this music saved for perpetuity. I'm hoping someday he'll put it in the Surf Heritage Foundation for future generations. But um, it's a genre all by itself. Perhaps some of your listeners may remember when Jimmy Hendrix said to never hear surf music again. Um, he meant that not so much um, literally as figuratively. Things were changing in the music industry, but surfing music evolved and followed it again. So um, it's an awful lot of fun. You have, um, even in the more contemporary, the Endless Summer 2, you have jazz music, which started way back when the Bruce Brown films with Bud Shank and then um, what's the guy's name, Gary Healy or something, um, a lot of jazz music. So surfing music takes on many different forms and shapes. It's not locked in that twangy, um, straddle-capture, fender guitar sound only. It's, it's quite diverse. All you got to do is look for it. Very interesting. I have two final questions for our special guest, Mark Fregali, the sure. curator of the Honolulu Surf Museum. Now, you mentioned you were a whole foodist, and I don't meet many of them. Yes, I am. I also have done this over the last uh, about six months now, and just as a public mm-hmm. service announcement, Wonderful. if anybody cares to, to hear me say this, I have never felt better in my entire life. So what's your, what's your favorite meal? My favorite meal would probably be, um, might sound strange to some people, but I absolutely love wild rice. If you explore um, the origins of wild rice, it really isn't a rice at all. It's a grass. So um, you're really eating wild grass, and, and it's in many shapes and forms. And then what I'll do is I'll um, get some Brussels sprouts, and just steam them a little bit over past their raw state. Then I'll cut them in half. And I'm a big fan of Trader Joe's. We don't have that Hawaiian G's. I wish we did. So when I go to the mainland, I always bring 50 pounds in a suitcase and pay for it to bring stuff back. <laughs> but they have some olive spreads, which I'll add to it, and some eggplant spreads. And I'll make a whole concoction. I'll get some uh, artichokes, mix it all together, and get some good old hot Hawaiian peppers that I grow in my backyard that burning hot and really adds a sizzle to the meal. Warm it up in the uh, toaster oven and oh man, it's the way to go. It's good stuff. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's my favorite meal. That was, it works. That was an interesting one. My last yeah. question. This show has people listening from all over the world. What would you like to say to all the people that are listening? Geez, this is quite an opportunity. I could say a million things. Just how happy I am to be alive. What a lucky guy I am. I got a woman who loves me and can't wait for me to come home at night. Got a couple beers in the refrigerator, plenty of food inside of it. Wonderful kids who just both finished college. Things are great. Um, And how surfing has tempered all of that and brought it all into full circle for me. Um, This is all possible because of my love for surfing, why I'm even sitting here and doing this. I'm sitting in my home right now. I got the day off and I have my home decorated and surfboards hanging from the ceiling and all sorts of artifacts in the passage of the sport and they really make me feel warm and fuzzy all over. And, um, geez, maybe that's an oversimplified thing, but, uh, 
just good to be alive and be healthy and uh, have friends and loved ones. So, yeah, that's where it's at. Well, you're very blessed to be doing something you love. No doubt, aren't we all? Well, thanks so much for this conversation, Mark. It's been a great pleasure to connect with you. I hope we get to meet in person. I can't thank you enough. (laughs) I'll look very forward to it. Uh, people pass through Hawaii sooner or later. It's, uh, it's a requisite passage, and it's foolish not to come here. The prices are right. If you play your cards right, do your read. Um, Hawaii could be a very, very affordable getaway. All right, everyone out there. <laughs> Honolulu <laughs> Surf I said, all right, everyone, HonoluluSurfMuseum.com. Well, yeah, that's one of many things. The, the activities here are absolutely endless. You can be uh, warm and tan all year long and um, cook outside and the inside and the outside morph into like one place. I mean, our backyard and the inside of our house isn't much different. It's just all it's a great place to live and it's a wonderful place to visit. So I urge you all to come and see us. Very good. Thanks so much. Thank you too, Paul. It's been an absolute privilege to speak with you and your listeners. And um, if if there's uh, any questions at all, please you can contact us through our website at the HonoluluSurfingMuseum.com or through the Jimmy Buffett um, conventional website that all the parakeets are quite familiar with. And uh, if any of you do make it out there, please say if you heard this interview and I'd love to meet you. All Aloha. right. Aloha. Mahalo. <laughs> Take it easy. All right. Well, we did okay? Yep. It sounds good. I'm listening to the playback, and uh, it sounds like we got this captured, and it's it's good sound quality. Your uh, leads were very, very good. Thank you so much. You made it very easy for me. I felt like we might have been – I don't know if it was on my end, but it sounded like we had like a delay. I thought that might have been purposely done on your point with the cadences. I would say something, and I go one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand in my mind. If there was a delay, uh, you would have heard it on the phone. And I'm sure if you do an edit, you can eat up those little sweeps of time very easily. I oh do yeah. A lot of radio margaritas on that feed. So if you do find a delay between the questions and the answers, that is um, tenuous, shorten it, and I think you'll be just fine. But um, yeah, I kind of like the feel. Yeah. They had a really good beat to it. Oh, great. Right. Well, I'll make sure and send you a, a copy of the show on CD. No, I'd love that. That'd be incredible. You can just send it right to the restaurant to my attention, and it'll surely make its way to my my staging area. All right, man. Well, have fun. You too, Paul. Be well. All right. Bye-bye. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good.